Last week we uh, started looking at Isaiah chapter 55, this piece of uh, poetic poetry, and we're going to continue with that today. Again, I just acknowledge that uh, during this uh, season of COVID, uh, the Daily Auto Bible and Brian, that uh, we've read through the prophets. It was very good for me during this time. And uh, then a couple sermons I heard by Brian Zahn and Sam Barber have really uh, spoken to my heart in days in these few days. And so I, I decided, well, that Isaiah passage, it spoke to me. Perhaps it'll speak to someone else. So last week, we looked at the prophet Isaiah preparing the Hebrew people, the people of God, for a, a different life that they were going to experience back home. Uh, the ironic thing is most of them who were going back home never had been home. Just a few of the older folks could remember what it was like because they had been in Babylon uh, for 50 years, give or take a few years, depending on which wave of deportation that you were part of. And so we, we looked at Isaiah last week. We, we saw this picture of him as a, a street vendor or as a salesperson working a kiosk in the corridor of a mall. I'm sure we've all experienced one of those things. And so Isaiah 51, depending on what translation you, you read, come, ho, hey, everyone who's thirsty, here, come here. I got something to show you that, that you really need. And I can just see the kiosk people walking up to me and I try to turn my head and walk the other way, but sometimes they get my attention. Isaiah is representing Yahweh and he's trying to do the same thing to his people. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. You that have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Hey, you're thirsty? Hey, you're thirsty? Hey, you need this. You thirsty? Come and drink. Hey, you over there, I got something to show you. You really need this. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. You that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Hey, you thirsty? I've got wine, I've got milk, I've got some wine and milk for sale. Now, we looked at how these were symbols of abundance and the good life. But in Babylon, the Jews couldn't afford wine and milk because they are the refugees. They are the exiles. They are the cheap labor upon which the empire is building its economy. They are a permanent underclass. Wine and milk represents the good life of Babylon that they cannot access. So today, let's, let's leave that picture of Isaiah that we looked at last week as a street vendor, as a, and, and let's focus on the illustration that he uses to reinforce the truth he makes about the living word of God, Jesus, but also the, the written word of God, the scriptures. You see, as a prophet, he has observed how nature works. He lives in nature, and he uses this illustration that the people would be familiar with. It's the illustration of the water cycle. You remember that from fifth, sixth, seventh grade, fifth or sixth grade science? Uh, I learned about that in, in those, those grade levels. And uh, that water cycle, and it'll be on here in a little bit, hopefully. There's a picture of it. But anyway, it rains and uh, it snows and that comes to the ground. And we know that rain and snow fall to the ground to nourish uh, through infiltration and through saturation. It, it falls into streams and 
rivers that makes their way to the ocean and through evaporation, the water rises back into the atmosphere. Through that transpiration of plants, it puts moisture as well as oxygen back into our atmosphere. And the atmosphere becomes saturated with that moisture and then eventually it condenses and through clouds and storms it finds its way back to the earth. Even when it's not cloudy and stormy on a heavy, uh, when the conditions are just right. I've, I've seen dew so thick on my grass it looked like it had rained. But anyway, this has always been true. The water cycle has always worked. It will always be true. Now, I don't know how many of you have been through a drought. But eventually, it does rain again. It always rains because that's the way God designed it. Uh, I was taking a a self-guided tour on my motorcycle around Portage Lakes uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I was uh, bored out of my gourd because of social distancing and COVID. And so I just hopped on my motorcycle for three or four hours and I began to drive around Portage Lakes. and, And I began reading some informational signs about the area. I didn't realize there were so many lakes in Portage Lakes. No wonder it's plural. Portage Lakes is a series of 13 lakes connected together uh, through streams and canals and and rivers. Uh, They're used now as water reservoirs. They used to be used to keep the water level of the canals where they needed to be. But now they're used for for reservoirs. And so the last of the reservoirs to be constructed was Nemesilla Reservoir. And that was uh, constructed in... 34, because there was a severe drought in this area, as there was in much of the country. So the Akron area, severe drought in 34. The water levels in, in the 12 reservoir lakes were critically low, so they added another reservoir at that time, and that was Nemesilla. But as always, as it always does, it eventually rained again, and there was plenty of water to go around because God has designed it that way. With the water cycle in mind, let's read again Isaiah 55.10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Because the prophet Isaiah lived in nature, he understood what we eventually codified into the water cycle that we teach our children. The rain and the snow have a purpose. They don't happen accidentally. They nourish and sustain the earth as they fall from heaven. And God intends for the earth to flourish just as he designed. Verse 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Just as that water cycle accomplishes its purpose, he said, my word is going out and it will accomplish its purpose. Just like rain and snow nourish and sustain the earth, God's word is designed to give life to nourish, to sustain the people of God in order for God's people to flourish. We need the word of God. Now, last week we looked at what John did with the word, word, (laughs) that Isaiah used in chapter 55. So John 1, 1 to 4 and 14 says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, he was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, literally tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So from John 1, 1, we see that the word from heaven is Jesus. Jesus is the living word, the purpose, the intention. The Greek word is logos, that God sends down from heaven. We can never reach it. We can never understand it, so he sends a person. Salvation is through him, and we are told through Isaiah, he will accomplish the purpose for which he was sent, just like the rain and snow accomplishes its purpose. Jesus was sent to save the world. Jesus was sent to redeem the whole cosmos. It will happen. Amen? It will. And he invites us to embrace Jesus, the living word, as Savior and Lord, so we can be part of his salvation plan of redemption and renewal of all things. It's great when we can plug our story, our life story, into that Meta grand narrative of God's story of what he's doing now and into the future. The words of God also come to us in scripture. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 and in John 5, 39 through 40, we see the purpose of the written word of God. Let's read that. The written word of God. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know that those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then John 5, 39 tells us, you search the scriptures. This is Jesus' words to uh, the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees that were trying to, to trap him. And he, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is they that testify on my behalf, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So in these scriptures, we see that they have several purposes. The scripture has several purposes. First, to testify on Jesus' behalf. They make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and they teach, rebuke, correct, train us in righteousness, and equip us for good works. So the living word sent from the Father will save the world who he uses to save the world that will not return void. The word is, is not the Bible. The living word that will save the world is not the Bible. As important as the Bible is for the believer's life, it's, it's not a sermon, it's not the Torah, but it's Jesus who will save the world and save individuals. And it's through him that all things were created. It's through him that God is going to redeem this whole world and bring renewal. You see, the Bible is not God. The Bible cannot save you. But what the Bible does perfectly, 
what it does best is it points to Jesus. Hey, there he is. He's the one. It's Jesus. Jesus. He's the one. Look to him. The Bible says, don't ask me to save you, as we read in John. Don't ask me to save you. I'm just a book. There's the Savior. I can point you to the Savior and then help you to know and to learn how to live and flourish once you've given, been given life by the Savior. That's what I can do. And, you know, and that's a big shift to make for some people. Uh, I've run into people who they'll argue with you till they're blue in the face about all these prepositional truths that are revealed in, in God's word. Uh, but it doesn't seem to have that transformational quality in their lives. So I believe we can apply Isaiah's word here in 55 about the word of God to scripture as well as the living word, Jesus. This water cycle can be applied to scripture as well as Jesus. And as Nazarenes, we believe scriptures are the inspired word of God. Our first uh, three articles of faith on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our fourth article of faith is on Holy Scripture. Uh, and in it, this is what reads in our manual about what we believe about the scriptures. We believe in the plenary. Plenary just means full, the full inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. That from Genesis to Revelation, it's, it's inspired in that it gives testimony to each other. The best commentary in the Bible is the Bible. Uh, we believe in the plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures by which we understand the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments given by divine inspiration, inerrantly revealing the will of God concerning us and all things necessary to our salvation so that whatever is not contained therein is not to be enjoined as an article of faith. So it's inspired by God. It's inerrant in things pertaining to salvation and as we're to live as Christians, our faith and practice. Now the word here, inspired, means spirit-filled. God-breathed. And as those words were written, they became what God intended them to be. And as we read them, they become what God needs them to be in our lives. So we kind of look at the scripture as double inspired. It's inspired on the front end. <laughs> as those men were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote the thoughts and the principles of God in their own styles and language and culture. But also the Holy Spirit makes it come alive. As we read it, gives it life, makes it jump off the page to what we need to see that day. And that's exciting to me. You know, you can read it for informational purpose, or you can read the Holy Spirit to make the word come alive in you for transformational purposes. I was excited about the, Bible, the study on Wednesday. Notice he said we're not meeting just for information. We're meeting to be transformed. And so that can happen in groups too. The written word, words come down from God to nourish and sustain the people of God and accomplish the same thing that rain and snow does for the earth, to help us flourish, not just, but to flourish as the people of God. 
So Isaiah makes this point about the word of God and the words of God through his illustration of the water cycle. And he he gives us their purpose to nourish, to sustain us so that we can flourish as the people of God. And I say, amen. Let's move on to verse 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Notice here the subject changes. You. We're not talking now about the heavens or the rain or the snow or the word. Now you has become the subject of Isaiah 55. Now we saw what that means historically for God's people coming out of Babylon. But now as we apply this scripture to us that what Isaiah wrote 2,500 years ago applies to us today. What does it mean for us? As we come alive to eternal life through the living word of God, Jesus. And as we are sustained and nourished through our relationship with him and through a regular diet of the scriptures, then we become the kinds of people who go out into the world. We become agents of beauty and renewal wherever we go. This becomes the role we play. This becomes our vocation. This becomes our purpose. Just as the rain waters the earth, this becomes our purpose to become salt, to become light to our world. It's not just enough to know about the water cycle and how that applies to the living word and the written word. I have to do something with it. I have to embrace its truth. I have to know it experientially. Not just here, but in experience. Then I can go out into the world with joy and peace. I myself become an agent of renewal wherever I go as the child of God. Now that's a beautiful image to me. Let's consider the opposite for a second. What if we're not nourished and sustained by a relationship with Jesus? What if we're not flourishing because we're not being nourished and sustained in our relationship with him by scripture? What happens if we're not bringing the spirit of God into the situations in our lives. I think it's easy to become a a moral wrecking ball instead of a positive creative force. We have nothing beautiful and redemptive to offer those around us. This illustration is as old as the hills. I'm sure you've heard it. Each of us has a bucket. And in that bucket, we can carry gasoline or water. And when those volatile situations flare up in our lives or in the lives of those around us, we can douse it with water or we can douse it with gasoline and make the flames more intense. You can throw water on a situation because you're nourished and sustained by Jesus and the words of Scripture, or you can throw gasoline on it and make it worse. In these difficult times, in this crazy world in which we live, have we forgotten that we are to offer that which is beautiful and redemptive? Nurturing, nurturing to those around us? Are you bold enough to look at your life and ask, what does the evidence of my life say? In, in the wake of your life, is there evidence of destruction or renewal? There's a good uh, discipline to get to make part of your life. I forget the, the technical name of it, but basically it's just before you go to bed at night, as you go to bed, Do do a review of your life, just for that day. And ask yourself, where was I an agent of beauty and peace 
and the Spirit of Christ. And where were those times that I was not? Where, where did I fail to, to, to reach the mark, to, to hit the mark, to reach the goal? Just review your life briefly every night. It's a good practice to get into because as the Holy Spirit reveals those things that he's not pleased with, then we can begin taking baby steps perhaps and, and correcting those. It's just a, a wonderful practice of, of uh, asking the Holy Spirit to make you aware and of confession and repentance in your life as a believer. Believe me, we all fail. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, you know that chapter, what love, love is. <laughs> what determines is are you humble enough to admit your failure in some of those areas? You know, I'm not always as patient with my wife as I need to be. Am I willing to confess that and admit it? Uh, are you always not willing to keep a record of wrongs? <laughs> you know, sometimes we feed on those things. We play them over in our mind and they get bigger until there's a riff in the relationship. Uh, so we all need to do that. Uh, verse 13 gets even better, though. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. It's not about the water cycle representing the living word, Jesus, or the written word of Scripture. And it's not about you now as a previous verse, but the language changes from nourishing in verse 12 to transforming in verse 13. Those things that used to be prickly and dangerous are being transformed into something beautiful, junipers and myrtles. That is God's word accomplishing what's meant to accomplish through his living word, through his written word, and through his people. We are the body of Christ. We now are his representatives. He is our head. We are participating in the transformation of things that are going on in the world. And by world, I mean transformation in the people that you live with in your house. I'm not talking a generic out there somewhere. Let's get down to everyday life where we live. I'm talking about transformation of the lives of the people that you work with. The transformation in the lives of those people you encounter on a regular basis, those people in your sphere of influence, in your conversations, in your deeds. Now I'm going to meddle a little bit in your Facebook and Twitter posts. <laughs> I've gotten into trouble so many times because my wife tells me, you are a smart mouth. Okay, I try to work on that. I, and so I'm a smart mouth sometimes. It's got me in trouble. I wish I could say in the past that every time I posted or tweeted, it had a nurturing quality and a quality of beauty and a redemptive quality, but I'm guilty it, it always has not. So I've really tried to change that intentionally in my life. Uh, in our deeds, our, our posts, in, in the way we treat people and talk to people concerning our opinions about COVID or social justice or political issues or any other cultural issue that comes down the pike? Are you an agent of beauty and renewal that's been nourished and sustained by a relationship with the living word of God? The one, are you one who's been correctly taught and trained through the written word by the Holy Spirit? Or, or do you have God's heart and attitude on issues because it's in him that you live and move and have your being? See, I told you this Isaiah 55 spoke to me in very real, practical ways. 
The call of Isaiah is clear to us today. We are, we are to be so saturated with Jesus and his word that we are agents of beauty and transformation wherever we go. And when we fail to do that, we have failed the purpose for which Jesus has called us and about which Jesus prayed when he invited the kingdom to come on this earth as it is in heaven. He wants people to experience a little bit of heaven, what the kingdom of God looks like through the people of God who live on this earth. We are to be a community of faith that looks different than the world, who has a different attitude, who has different priorities than those around us, who has a different spirit. Those places where the sustained, nurtured, flourishing people of God are should resemble a little bit of heaven on earth. The people of God who are sustained and nourished and flourishing by relationship, by relationship with Jesus Christ, the living word, and a diet of the written word should make a difference in our circles of influence. Well, a good question to ask is, uh, so what? Well, so what? Let's be reminded of a little of what we went over last week. Just a reminder, the people, the people Isaiah, that Isaiah is addressing are in exile. They're slaves. They're, they're permanent underclass on whose backs Babylon has built its wealth. They're POWs. These people had their homes burned, their relatives killed or displaced, their city and temple were destroyed and lay in ruins. They have been in exile for 50 years and they don't know how they're going to make it one more day. That's, that's the setting of this, this context. So God has sent Isaiah to encourage them and to prepare them for going home. Now, even though the situation is not as desperate as the Hebrews in Babylonian exile, that frustration, that sentiment is true in us sometimes these days. I know it's been true in me. It's like, how much longer, Lord? And I, I, I know it stinks to wear a mask in church. I don't like it either. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Uh, all the social distancing is a downer for me. I, I like to be with people. I like to shake hands and hug. Uh, <laughs> I had one guy in one of my churches, and my social distance is pretty close. So if, I, if, I'm, if I'm ever talking to you and I'm, I'm too close, just say, hey, back off, Jack. You know? So my social distance is pretty close. I just tend to get in close. This one guy, my last church, he just kept, every time I'd talk to him, I noticed he, had, he just kept walking backwards. <laughs> Till he hit the wall, I had, I had to, you know, back off my social distance. So this, you know, this, this is, a, this is a, a downer for me. But you know, nobody has ransacked and burned our homes. Our church is not lying in, in a pile of rubble. Nobody is dragging us away to a foreign land, away from all that is familiar and comfortable, to a land where they speak a foreign language that I can't even understand. So we endure this inconvenience. I endure this inconvenience. And I hope at least most of the time with the sweet spirit. And I want to encourage us today as, as we endure the difficult things of life. This isn't the only thing that, that you're dealing with. Some of you have lost loved ones out there. Your finances are strained because of a job loss or a change or COVID. You've been in exile in a lot of ways in, in your life over the last few weeks and months. But we have to decide, really, what kind of people 
are, are we going to be in, this midst, in the midst of this mess that, that's going on all around us? And there are plenty of messes around us. It's easy to demonstrate the love of God when everything's good. But when it's dragging on and on and it gets tougher and tougher. Has God love been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit? You see, that, I think that's the very essence of, of what holiness is. We got a lot, a lot of uh, other ways we describe it. If I had time this morning, you could give me 12, 15, 20 adjectives, and they're all over the place. You know, Christ-likeness, uh, Christian perfection, Lord, she's my Lord, Lordship, salvation. There's all kinds of, of uh, synonyms that describe it. But I believe that the essence, the essence of who we are as the people of God, what makes us different is we are told God pours his love, his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit where we can practice being like Jesus. And I say practice because we're not perfect at it. You know, the doctors you go to, they practice medicine, right? I don't like that. They practice medicine. (laughs) So I want you to be God and do it perfectly. No, they're not God. They practice medicine. They all do. (laughs) Some of them have a God complex. Uh, If you've been around them, they don't agree on things. You get three doctors in conference, they all want to be right for the most part. So you have that, but they practice medicine. You know, I practice being a Christian. It's your constant prayer every day, Lord, fill me anew today with your love. I surrender myself to you. And that's why it's good to do that a little evaluation at night before you go to bed and examine yourself where you failed, where you succeeded, and then ask the Lord, Lord, fill me again. Fill me again. Make me like Jesus. We have a choice to make. We can live in, we can give in to anger and fear and unkindness and self-centeredness and, and the overall grossness of the world or we can be what Isaiah 55 invites us to be. We can decide we're going to be the kind of person who loses our mind on someone on the highway or the Home Depot parking lot or the Sam's greeter or the giant eagle cashier or a brother at church, or a sister at church. To me, it's a sad thing, really, when friendships are severed over any issue, a political issue. People will sever a friendship, a relationship, over a candidate they don't really know, really, except what the news media tells us. I've seen two brothers sever a lifelong relationship Because of political candidates and issues. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. You don't know them. But you know that dear sister. You know that dear brother. Discuss things. (laughs) Have the freedom to talk about things. Without getting mad at each other. We don't have to agree on everything. And and folks, let me tell you. uh, Like I said, I'm a smart mouth. (laughs) It's got me in trouble. and I, I have to learn this. I had to learn this. God gives grace, what, to the humble? But the proud, he rejects. So I, I have to ask God for, Lord, give me, give me your grace. Give, give me humility. What Isaiah wrote 2,500 years ago calls us to be the kind of people who, who knows, who experientially knows the living word, Jesus Christ. 
and the inspired words of Scripture in such a way that it nourishes and sustains us on a regular basis so that wherever we go, we are agents of beauty and transformation. That's the call. That's the decision we have. Are we going to be that kind of people or are we going to give up? I don't plan on giving up. I mean, I've failed plenty of times, but I don't plan on giving up. That's one thing I liked about Peter, you know. His mouth always got in gear before his brain. And, and he fell down a lot, but he always got up toward Jesus, right? Not away from Jesus. I want our lives to shine brightly for the Jesus that we profess. How about you? How about you? Let's stand together. I think it would be appropriate to end this with the Lord's Prayer. I like what it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. How's he going to do that? Living word, written word, the people of God who now are living representatives of what the word can accomplish as we flourish in God and as the people of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.